Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 7, the St. Louis Cardinals 2. The Indians and Cardinals do what they do. They trade wins. They split the two-game series. They did the same thing in St. Louis. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And what a fun afternoon baseball game this was. If you did not get a chance to put this game on while you were at work, at least for those of us here in the Eastern time zone, uh, you missed out on some fun baseball because this was just a classic afternoon slobber knocker of a game. The Indians just unloaded the top storyline of this game. We have the power. And uh, it's led by Fermil Reyes. The Indians go off for four home runs uh, and leave no doubt about this one in a very convincing 7-2 win. So this is, I mean, this is the kind of baseball you're going to get from a team that's hovering around 500, maybe slightly above 500. You know, one day they're going to look... you know, it's going to be a big struggle. And the next day, they're going to look like they could beat anybody in the world. So um, that was that was yesterday afternoon. So let's get into this. Let's go through these storylines. Like I said, the first one, the home runs. And uh, the Indians are actually down to start. They're down one nothing, And then Fermil Reyes comes up to lead off the second inning. And facing Kim... And uh, we'll talk about Kim in a second because uh, he does very well against the lefties, struggles mightily against right-handed hitters, and that's exactly what the Indians did yesterday. Stacked the lineup with right-handed hitters, and Fermil Reyes wasted absolutely no time. He got a fastball that, frankly, was up and in, top, uh, top left corner of the zone from the catcher's view. 85.6 mile per hour fastball. Now, Kim does not throw this fastball to blow it by anybody. He just does it to est- try to establish a strike, try to paint the edges. He's really trying to set you up for his breaking balls. And Fermil Reyes gave him no chance at this. Honest to God, one of the most powerful, impactful, forceful home runs I've ever witnessed watching a game. Hits it 111 mile per hour exit velocity, 35 degree launch angle. Gets to use his entire frame. Doesn't have to go down and get one. Gets to stand up tall and use his full frame. 446 feet to the bridge. To the bridge that connects the parking garage to the stadium. Honest to God, one of the longest home runs I've ever seen when it comes to the architecture of progressive field. Uh, it's his 18th home run on the season, and it tied up the game. I I, I know it wasn't the uh, the hardest hit ball of the season. I know it's not the longest hit home run of the season, but the impact at the bat, if, if you could measure the force of the baseball leaving the bat, uh, I mean, other than miles per hour, and I'm actually, I'm sure based on all the information here, some of you probably could, some of you who remember your high school physics lessons, um, just to see the big man stand up tall and use his full frame and just crank one, uh, it was really impressive. So if you happen to be someone who was listening on the radio, listening to Hamilton's call, make sure you go look up the replay of this one because it is truly something 
to witness. Uh, so that would be the first home run. We would actually uh, be down 2-1 to one because Dylan Carlson, speaking of the power, would lead off the top of the third inning with a solo home run. He actually, on a full count, um, Plesak gets ahead and then misses with three changeups way off the plate, could not locate a changeup to Carlson after going up. Oh, it was up 0-2 in the count. Three wide ones, and then throws him a fastball that paints the outside edge. Carlson, it's just at the belt, and Carlson goes out and reaches it. It hits his 101.2 miles per hour, 406 to center field for a home run to actually take the lead. So the Indians are actually down. Uh, and then in the bottom of the third inning, we would go off on Kim. Uh, the inning would start with an Austin Hedges bunt ground out to Nolan Arenado on the first pitch. So Austin Hedges trying to get the St. Louis Cardinals infielder sleeping. And let me tell you something. You are not going to get many things past Nolan Arenado. That guy's third base defense is a generational. One of the best in this generation. And uh, he charges in, scoops it, and fires the first to get Austin Hedges, no doubt in their mind. Ernie Clement gets hit by a pitch, which sets things up perfectly for Cesar Hernandez. I feel like the Indians are doing a great job of getting hit by pitches and coming in to score. I feel like Bobby Bradley's done it a couple times. Uh, Ernie Clement now. Bradley Zimmer, I feel like, has done it a bunch of times. I don't know. Someone someone who's better at baseball savant or bleacher report or not bleacher report, uh, baseball reference or fan graphs who can dig into those stats. I wonder if the Indians lead the league in being hit by the pitch and then coming around to score, uh, making it count. Well, he gets on for Cesar Hernandez, who Kim throws all fastballs to. All fastballs sitting in the high 80s. And eventually the fifth one after being up in the count 3-1, the fifth fastball, these are all on the outside edge of the plate. These are all, in fact, the, the third one is a called strike that's probably off the plate by a baseball. And he finally creeps one into the plate. And Cesar Hernandez has just watched four of these fly by. He's not fooled by anything. Uh, so I don't know what the plan here from Kim was. But he lines this one, I wouldn't say line, 32-degree launch angle, 101.5 miles per hour, 396. He hits one to center field. He puts one out to the seats in front of the bullpens there. And now the Indians have jumped and taken the lead. Two batters later, after Ahmed Rosario grounds out to short, Jose Ramirez would come up. He would be up in the count. He's up 2-1 in the count, and he gets a hanging changeup. That he smokes out to left field, 108.3 miles per hour, 23 degree launch angle, 381 to the standing section in left field. It just clears the 19 foot wall. And the poor fan out there in the blue t shirt had two chances at this ball. He had a chance when it initially flew past him, and then the ball ricochets around in the corner there where the bleachers start to rise up. And it shoots back off the brick wall towards him. And he missed it again. So I don't know who comes up with that ball in the scrum. But the poor guy in the blue t-shirt had two chances at it. And Jose Ramirez has now extended the lead. Then Fermil Reyes comes up. And joking with Andre Knott, says he felt like he had another home run in him. Well, this time it's off a slider. And it's on a full count. 
Uh, he throws him a slider that he tries to sneak back over the outside edge. It's actually the same pitch he threw him, threw him for the very first pitch in the at-bat. That was a called strike. And this time, Reyes extends his arms, gets out there, pokes one out to right center field, 104.9 miles per hour, 29-degree launch angle, 421 to the seats in uh, to the to the standing room section, or not the standing room section, the seats there in front of the Indians' bullpen. Again, 421 feet. Add that on to his first home run of 446. Man, this guy, 800, was it 867? Yeah. 867 feet of home runs yesterday for Fermil Reyes. And at that point, I mean, Kim's just shaking his head like, what What do I got to do? What do I have to do? He gives up a smoked single on uh, three fastballs to uh, Harold Ramirez, who's the next batter, and then he's out of the game. He is out of the game. Justin Miller has to come in to get out of that inning. Now, I told you going into this that Kim struggles against right-handed hitters, and his ER is, uh, his splits going into the game, going into the game, Against left-handed batters, he had a 0.40 ERA, a 143 batting average against, a 0.99 whip. Against right-handed batters going into the game, a 377 ERA, a 250 batting average against, and a 124 whip. So you could see clearly stacking the lineup with right-handed batters was a pretty good plan. Now, after the Indians smoke uh, four home runs off him, he leaves with an ERA against right-handed batters, a 431, a batting average against a 258, and a whip of 1.28. So the batting average and the whip both tick up a little bit. The ERA really jumps against those right-handed batters, 431 ERA against. And you can imagine they're going to stack uh, left-handers or uh, right-handers. They're going to stack right-handers against him. He's now six and six on the season with a 3.31 ERA total, which doesn't look too bad until you look at those splits and realize this guy is not going to see many left-handed hitters for the rest of the season. All right, so. Jumping back into this game, some of the other storylines here. The Indians would, let's just finish talking about the offense. The Indians would scratch across another run on the day. Uh, two more runs, actually, in the fourth inning. It would be Yu Chang and Austin Hedges that would set up a nice rally. Chang would double. Uh, Austin Hedges would bring him in with a single um, and move up to second on the throw. Ernie Clement would actually lay down a sack bunt to move Hedges over to uh, third, why not? There's nobody out. And then Cesaro Hernandez would lift a sack fly out into right field. And Austin Hedges would turn on the speed, turn and burn for home, uh, tag up, and just get his hand in. The ball actually beat him. Uh, Hedges was just able to get his hand in and score before uh, Molina can lay the tag down. So Hedges uses his wheels and uh, gets in there to give the final run for the Indians. And they did all their damage early and then just rode the bullpen for the rest of the day. So it's a nice little rally from the bottom of the lineup. Definitely the top of the lineup that was doing all the damage. Cesar Hernandez, with two, he was two for three with a double and a home run, three RBIs. Nothing from Ahmed Rosario yesterday. 
Jose Ramirez was one for four with his solo home run. Fermil Reyes was three for three yesterday with two runs scored, two home runs, two RBIs. So he drove himself in twice and a walk. So he was on base four times yesterday. That's going to make the OPS really spike. Uh, He's at a 918 OPS right now. And all three of his hits were hard hit balls. Uh, Bradley Zimmer would eventually come in and pinch run for him and take over defensively in center field. Big Harold Ramirez uh, was one for four. Oscar Mercado was 0 for 1, but with three walks. So that's big. That'll help the OPS out, the on-base percentage there. Uh, Chang with his double. Austin Hedges with his one hit. And Ernie Clement did score a run after getting hit by that pitch. So that's what your Indians offense was able to do. Uh, Let's talk about our next storyline. Let's talk about the pitching because... Plesak got himself into a couple of jams, but he was really able to control the game, which was really important. I mean, Plesak is not really going to be a dominant strikeout guy. I, we haven't seen that really from him. I think the most strikeouts he has on the season right now is seven in a game, uh, and that was back on May 7th against the Reds. So it's all about controlling the game for Plesak. I mean, that's why his pickoff move first base is such an important move because it controls the game. It's, it controls the speed of the game. It holds the base runners. It limits rallies. And that's what he was able to do here. He actually gets into some big trouble in the first inning. First, his final line. Five innings pitched, seven hits, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hard hit balls, two earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts. He did live, give up a home run, but it was a solo home run to lead off an inning on 89 pitches. So it's a pretty solid performance there. If we go over to that first inning, I mean, other starters we've seen, you know, the Sam Henches and the J.C. Mejias, you know, even Tristan McKenzie, sometimes they get in trouble in this first inning and it all falls apart. It did not for Plesak. He did give up three singles in this inning, but he's able to limit the damage. So a single from Dylan Carlson, Goldschmidt flies out, Arenado then singles, he strikes out Tyler O'Neill. Has a chance to get out of it, but gives up a single to Yadier Molina, which brings in Carlson to score, but shuts it down right there. Harrison Bader with a force out, 103.1 miles per hour off the bat, but it goes for a force out. He would actually strike out the side in the second inning. My God, I told you he doesn't strike out many people, but apparently it was working for him in that second inning. Strikes out Edmund, strikes out Carpenter, strikes out DeYoung. Let's go to the matchups. Let's see how he got... All of these guys here in this second inning. Uh, Tommy Edmond gets him on three pitches, gets him to drops after two fastballs, drops a curveball in the dirt and gets him to swing through it. Three pitch strikeout to start the inning. Carpenter, he has to work. It's a nine pitch at bat, and he finally gets him to uh, chase a changeup up and away. Uh, it would have been a strike. It was in the strike zone. It paints the edge. But he, uh, he throws him three change-ups to end that at-bat. A ton of change-ups against Carpenter there. Obviously, that's in the scouting report. And he strikes out swinging on that. And then DeYoung attacks him with fastballs. Uh, the first one is a called strike on the outside edge. The second one is a swinging strike high. The third one, he misses high. And then uh, mixes him up with a slider on the outside. It it was in the strike zone. I mean, this was a hittable pitch, but the change in speed gets him, and he gets DeYoung to strike out swinging. So all three are strikeouts swinging. 
So that's a huge inning for Plesak right there. Um, he would get into some more trouble. Uh, he gives up the home run to Carlson. He would get into more trouble here in the fifth inning. Uh, Goldschmidt would single the lead off that inning. He would then hit Nolan Arenado on the elbow, would eventually drive Arenado out of the game. And you hope he's okay because you do not want to see one of the best players in baseball out with a hit-by-pitch like that. Tyler O'Neill would fly out. Yadier Molina would fly out deep to left field. 100.8 mile per hour exit velocity, 362 feet. It was heading towards the wall in left field until Harold Ramirez made a leaping catch. Um, it was just a great job of tracking the ball. I mean, how many times have we seen Harold Ramirez get trapped up against that wall? The ball shoots past him in right field. It's happened too many times. This time, he knew he had it tracked. Gives a little leap at the wall and steals probably what should have been a double for Yadier Molina, an RBI double from him. And then Harrison Bader lines out to get out of the fifth inning, and that would be Plesak's last batter. So, really, really limits the damage, controls the game. It's a great job by Plesak. And then the bullpen is just dominant afterwards. Blake Parker goes an inning, nothing, two strikeouts. Nick Sandlin goes an inning, nothing across the board, two strikeouts. Emmanuel Classe goes an inning, nothing across the board, two strikeouts. Karen Cech goes the ninth inning, nothing across the board, only one strikeout. And to show you how dominant they were, Karen Cech is the only one that gave up a hard-hit ball. Parker gets out of his inning on 11 pitches. Sandlin, 13 pitches. Classe, 17 pitches. And Karen Cech, 13 pitches. So they really, really dominated the last four innings of this game. Blake Parker, I didn't realize it, is having a decent season. He's got a 255 ERA. Sandlin, I love seeing him in that seventh inning role. I talked about it the other day when Shaw went in and gave up the lead. I wish that would have been Sandlin in that situation. I think I think Sandlin, Classe, and Karinchek are definitely a three-headed monster going forward that is going to be a dominant back end of the bullpen. Um so yeah, it's a it's a great day for the Indians pen. It's a it's a great day for the Indians overall. And uh so yeah, it's a big win for the Indians. I mean, that's really my top storylines of the game. When you're hitting home runs like this and your pitching staff is controlling the game and is as dominant as they were, uh it doesn't take much analysis to know that that's a recipe for success. So the Indians, a big win for them against the Cardinals. I do want to go some national news. I, I kind of want to go around the AL Central because there were some crazy things happening in the AL Central yesterday. Um, first, let's start with the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers because, my God, I just got done saying that hitting home runs is a recipe for success. Well, apparently not in the Twins-Tigers game because the Twins, I believe, set an MLB record. I believe they hit... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven home runs yesterday. The Twins hit seven home runs, had 16 hits total, 14 runs scored, and they lost the game to the Detroit Tigers that didn't hit any home runs. The Tigers had no home runs on the day. The Tigers did have one, two, three, Four, five, six doubles and a triple. Um, The Tigers were up in this game uh, 10-0 at one point in the fourth inning. 
The Minnesota comes back, scores six in the bottom of the fourth. The Tigers add three more in the sixth inning, so they're up 13 to six. Minnesota would add six more runs in the bottom of the eighth inning. They just kept hitting home runs. And now it's a 13 to 12 game after eight innings. Detroit, what do they do? They answer with four in the top of the ninth inning. The Twins are able to add two more in the bottom of the ninth, but it's not enough. Detroit goes on to win 17 to 14, and it's the first time that a team has ever been out hit by that many home runs and still lost the game. Absolutely incredible there uh, in Minnesota, a game in Minnesota. I mean, that one must have been just ridiculous to be at, just ridiculous to watch. And then uh, in a night game, the Royals and the White Sox go to extra innings. Um, Kansas City was actually down 2-1 to one going into that ninth inning. The White Sox had their closer, Hendricks, on the mound, and he gives up a solo home run in that ninth inning to Salvador Perez, the, uh, the all-star, the guy who competed in the home run derby, smokes a no-doubt-about-it shot with one out off of Hendricks to tie the game. Then, in the ninth inning, um, you know, obviously that runner starting on second base doesn't mean much if you're striking out. Johan Moncada strikes out to start the inning. Billy Hamilton strikes out. They walk Garcia, and then Brian Goodwin, a pinch hitter, flies out sharply to center field to end the threat for the White Sox. So now all the Kansas City Royals have to do is get Benatendi in from second base. Alberto bunts him over to third. Then a crazy play. With the infield brought in, um, Hunter Dozier would ground to shortstop. They would throw home. Benetendi would get caught in a rundown between third and home. Uh, it, it was interesting to see if Benetendi was tagged out by the catcher. It looks like he just maybe scraped the tag along the top of his, along the edge of his back. As uh, Benintendi tried, you know, kind of falling to the ground and sneaking underneath the tag. So they had to go and review it. They eventually call him out. So now there's two outs. They waste that runner at third, but Michael Taylor singles up the middle. Hunter Dozier comes in to score, and it's a walk-off for the Royals in 10 innings, which is big. Um, which is big. I mean, it's frankly keeping the Indians' hopes alive in the Central uh, a little bit. We're eight and a half back, obviously a huge amount of ground to cover, but we'll see if the Royals, if the Royals could sneak a win off of the White Sox again today, and we go into Chicago now, down eight games, you never know what could happen, you know, straight up against the White Sox. We have no idea who is pitching for them. They haven't announced any of the starters. For the Indians, it's going to be Mejia on Friday. It's going to be McKenzie on Saturday, and it's going to be Quantrill on Sunday. So you know who's pitching for the Indians. No names announced yet for the White Sox. So it's going to be a big series. I mean, it's going to be a big series no matter what. This this is pretty much a make-or-break series. And the fun thing is that the Indians have to kind of make their trade, li- trade deadline decisions before this series starts. So they don't get the benefit of seeing this series before making those decisions. And frankly... I haven't heard anything about an Indians player in any trade deadline rumors. Aside from the ridiculous Jose Ramirez tweets out there from some national writers that are just trying to 
stir up a hornet's nest in Cleveland. Um, I haven't heard any rumors about Cesar Hernandez, about Eddie Rosario, about Ahmed Rosario even, about any of the bullpen guys, Shaw or, you know, anybody else whom someone might take a run at in our bullpen. I haven't heard any rumors out there. Now, the things that are going down at the trade deadline, the big one is Joey Gallo goes to the Yankees. Yes, it adds a ton of power. He's going to smoke a ton of home runs with that short porch in right field, but it also adds a ton of strikeouts to the Yankees lineup. So uh, with Judge and Giancarlo Stanton now, I mean, there's going to be so many home runs flying out of Yankee Stadium, but there's also going to be so, so many strikeouts. So many strikeouts there. So we'll see if this works out in the Yankees' favor. It's definitely the biggest trade. I think like four prospects or something like that go back to the Texas Rangers. Um, Eduardo Escobar, uh, an all-star infielder for the Diamondbacks, goes to the Brewers. The Brewers are trying to shore things up to take a run. I should say hold on to their lead in the NL Central. Uh, a couple of relief pitchers, you know, were on the move. Nothing huge there. So um, uh, from Miami, the uh, outfielder from Miami goes to the A's. So that was another one. That was another big trade out there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's still kind of slow. I mean, the Gallo trade seems to be the, uh, the biggest one. The uh, Miami Marlins closer got traded to the Astros. Um, who is it? Sterling Marte. That's the one. That's the outfielder from the Marlins that got traded, I think, to the A's. Let me double check this one. But there's still a lot of names out there. And uh, yeah, it was the A's that got Marte. And uh, there's still a lot of names out there. And we are running out of time here. Honest to God, I it, it feels like with the lack of rumors, it feels like the Indians might just stand pat at this deadline. Um, I mean, there's no rush on getting Cesar Hernandez out of town. We have an option year on him. He's been fantastic as a leadoff hitter for us for the last two seasons. I can absolutely see them hanging on to him for another season. It's like a $6 million option. That's nothing for, for a quality second baseman like Cesar Hernandez. So, I could see us hanging on to him. I mean, Eddie Rosario can walk at the end of the season. We'll see what happens with him. There's no rush on, on any of these guys really to make a move. So if there's no deal out there that brings in some big top of the top of the farm system impact prospect that you think could can really, you know, shine for your team for the next six years, you know, under team control, then there's really no rush to make a move. I mean, you get your pitching healthy, you get this minority owner thing figured out, you get an influx of money, they say that this is the lowest the payroll will go, they're going to spend money going into next year, so maybe you just stick with what you got and take a run again next year. I mean, you're a second place team, you're an above 500 team, hopefully, hopefully they finish this thing above 500. I know the trade deadline creates interesting opportunities, but there's really nothing forcing the Indians' hand here. Uh, if they were closer to the White Sox, maybe there'd be you know a desire to be buyers to get one of these guys. 
get an outfielder like Starling Marte that could help. But, I mean, you're so far back in the division that you just you don't feel that pressure. So I, I kind of get it. If they stand pat, I absolutely get it. So we've got until 4 o'clock tomorrow to see what goes down. Um, so, yeah. So keep your eyes posted, your eyes and ears posted. Uh, I'll be off tomorrow because the off day today for the Indians will be back on Saturday morning to talk about the start of the White Sox series. If for some reason the Indians do make a big trade, maybe I'll do an emergency episode and we could talk about it. Uh, the Cavs draft is tonight, so on the Indians off day, go ahead and enjoy the Cavs draft. Uh, enjoy some Olympics if you're into that. We were watching some of the swimming uh, last night. That was interesting. We watched a little of the team handball highlights. We watched, what else were we watching last night? Um, it's it's. Still fun. I still enjoy the Olympics. It's it's just interesting to see some of these competitions sometimes, and it's still fun to root for Team USA. So uh, so yeah. So enjoy the Cavs draft. Hopefully, I, I feel like Evan Mobley is the pick, right? I feel like that's what we're all leaning towards. You think there's a lot of smoke screens and you know wild speculation at the MLB trade deadline? This NBA draft is ridiculous. I mean, every team under the sun has. Offered the Cavs somebody for the third pick, and the Cavs have offered Colin Sexton to everybody under the sun. You know, if you go by what the reporters are throwing out there, so tons of smoke screens, and they'll probably just end up picking Evan Mobley at three. So I'll be back on Saturday to talk about this White Sox series. I'm very excited for this one. You can follow me on Twitter at Davy Barris. Wait a minute, did we do MVP for the day? It's for Mio Reyes. MVP for the day is for Mio Reyes. I have so much power. Uh, just beautiful home runs. Like I said, eight. What was it? Eight hundred and sixty some feet of home runs. Absolutely. When you were teeing off like that and leading your team to victory, MVP for the day for Fermil Reyes. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Davy Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.